Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Christmas, it should be one of the, you know, I've heard there are churches out there that don't do Christmas because it's a bit complicated. But, you know, we even hire the school hall on a Christmas day. We, have, we go to great lengths and bribery of the caretakers to get in here on a, on a Christmas day. And I can't wait to be here Christmas day celebrating the birth of Jesus. It's the highlight for me anyway of, of my Christian. This is the gift that God has given to us. This week, I, I was uh, Mr. Romantic. Um, this is one here, gents. You're going to love me for this. I took my wife. I took my wife to Venice. Thank, I, thank you. You should all be very impressed. You should be. It was her birthday, special birthday. And I thought, I know, I'll buy her a present that I get to benefit from. So uh, we went to Venice. It didn't start very well. And uh, we set off nice and early on Wednesday morning. And there's that moment you hit the M25 where everything just stops. And the cars aren't moving. And if you're like me, I'm always watching my sat-nav, you know, trying to always beat the clock. Whatever you leave the house with the time on, you've got to beat the time, don't you? And the plane left at 9.30, and when we left, it said we'd be there about 7.30. We've got two hours. I'm thinking breakfast. This is going to be lovely. But as we're sitting there in traffic on the M25, the clock is getting nearer and nearer to 9 o'clock. The gate closes at 9 o'clock. And I'm sitting there in this traffic, and a lot said to me, officer, you're going very quiet. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, right, we get there late. I mean, we've got to go, where are we going to go? I mean, what have we missed the, t- we missed the flights? I'm thinking of those episodes of the airplane, you know, the air show that was on, you know, the easy jet in Luton and people running for those gates. I'm thinking, I don't want to be one of those people. And we're running late, and I'm again a little bit worried. And I'm thinking, this could be awkward. We might have to, we just arranged babysitting for all the children for three days to go back home would be slightly awkward and embarrassing. And, and we get there, and I arrive, and we couldn't find the right car park, and all this kind of stuff. Lottie goes off with the bags, and I say, you go ahead, I'll catch you up. This time, it's 10 to 9. We arrive at 10 to 9. The gates close at 9 o'clock. And we get in there, and we eventually get the car sorted out, and we arrive, and they say, yes, but you've only got a few minutes to get to the gate. Which gate is it? If you know Gatwick, gate 104. Gate 104, I think, isn't even in the same county as Gatwick, all right? And so literally, Lottie's like going, you run ahead. So I'm there with all the bags and everything, and I am pegging it down past these people. It's just embarrassing. I, we even thought about stopping those people with the little kind of cars and thinking, could you give me a lift? Because, you know, and we get there, and I arrive like at the, the, uh, the counter, <gasps> and she's like going, are, are you coming on this flight here? You think you're getting on this flight? I said, yeah, yeah, my wife's just coming in a minute. She said, well, she's got three minutes. So I'm like looking at the, like this is going to help. I'm looking at the corridor. because somehow that will help my wife run faster. And she comes around the corner. Shall we just say she's glowing? <laughs> Under all the scarves, the bags, the hats and everything. We made it. And I'm like, oh, this is a great start to a romantic weekend, right, isn't it? Fantastic. But here's the thing that kind of struck me when I was reflecting that story. Because I did, I got, got very quiet in the car. There's awkward, you know, the, the conversation slows down. The truth is I was, I was getting a little bit afraid of, well, not really being late, but the consequences of being late. I can't be really honest. I didn't want to be embarrassed. See, see being late, I've, I've bought someone a gift, and then I've messed up. I have to explain to people who've been kind to help give lifts to children to school, or my mother-in-law looking after our children and feeding them, that I've messed up and I've not got it right. And I was sort of thinking, oh, I don't want to... 
I was afraid of what it might look like. It's not one of those Instagram posts you want to put up there. Look at me, I missed our plane by three minutes. I was also a bit afraid about wasting money. I hate wasting money. And it would cost us more money to get book another flight to get out there a day later. We made it with minutes to spare. But to be honest with you, I was just afraid of what might happen if it didn't. And I was embarrassed. And I remember thinking, why? What? it doesn't really matter. It's just a trip. It's just an event and experience. But it was also the talking point of our time away. We kept, remember that time we were running? We were properly, listen, the whole holiday we were like talking about. Now, if you have been to Venice, it doesn't stop after that. You have to walk everywhere. It's not there was no respite. We were walking and we probably put as many miles on maybe as Tim did yesterday, but maybe not quite as fast. Let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter one. There is sense to that story. I think it will make sense in just a moment. If not, I hope you've enjoyed laughing at our expense. If the monthly updates didn't do that already. I love the fact that Hannah gets me wearing those kind of things. And she's not even here today. Okay, Luke 1, 26. Here we go. A famous Bible reading of the Christmas story. If we can start uh, in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. Now, I don't get really boring, but I've been there. I know, I know. And I can even tell you now... I'm going to get really boring. I've got plenty of time on my side today. You've been warned. I know why it's called Nazareth now. You ready for this? A little bit of a lesson here? Okay, apparently, off the side of an olive tree, all right, and Janet and Alan Gwen can tell me if I'm wrong, on the side of an olive tree, um, olive trees regrow themselves from the outside, and branches come up from the, off the base of the tree, and it becomes like another branch, becomes another trunk. Now, that piece of kind of almost like a branch that comes off the bottom of an olive tree is called a Nazareth, and the Nazareth means an offshoot. Nazareth was an offshoot of people, they think, from the place of Bethlehem, that a group of people said, let's move out from the town, and let's move and start a new community. It was only about three, four hundred people that lived in the village of Nazareth. There you go, bit of Yeah, thank you, little woo. I did listen to the guide on the trip. Thank you. Ah, Here we go, carrying on. In the sixth month, we're there in Nazareth, a village in Galilee, a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a, a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Has to overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. And then probably one of the greatest statements in the whole of the Bible, when Mary says this, Mary responded, Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Let's just pray, shall we? Lord, thank you for the story of Christmas. 
Lord, as we dive in to, to explore what this might mean for us this year, Lord, help us to find something fresh, a fresh revelation, a fresh understanding of your incredible gifts, we pray. Amen. Amen. I've got a little quiz for you to get things started this morning. A little quiz for you. I have got here a Christmas quiz. Judith appreciates the fact we have a Christmas quiz. Anyone else appreciate a Christmas quiz? You've got no idea what's coming, have you? Okay, it's a very simple quiz. Uh, with no, no hands up, just shout out. I'm really happy with that. I have got for you six phobias. Christmas-based phobias. Can we have the first one, please, Levi? Now, whether I can pronounce this or not, this says something like meliagrisphobia. Who knows what this might be? Any guesses? Not even close. You're just guessing, aren't you? Yes. It is fear of turkey. As in the animal, not the country. Okay, next one then. Here we go. You're getting there. Good. Cystinophobia. I said it was kind of belief there. Who knows what this might be? Some of you have definitely got this, I'm sure of it. Fear of swans. Okay. Any other guesses? Brussels sprouts. I think a lot of people would have that fear, but we put it away every Christmas. Fear of Santa. No, this is the fear of being kissed under the mistletoe. Probably because you've got a random uncle or something. I don't know. Okay. Now, here we go. I'll try and pronounce one of a can. Christogeniaticodentrophobia. Rolls off the tongue. Zara, wow, that is absolutely right. This is the fear of Christmas trees. If you are scared of Christmas trees, don't come to our house. We are covered in Christmas trees. Um, but that is what that one means. Okay, um, this is my favorite one. Just looking around the room quickly. Um, here we go. Syngenesophobia. Syngenesi something. It's on the screen. Read it for yourselves. Any guesses? What is this fear? Christmas-based fear. Scared of the word Christmas. Fear of church. Now, there is one of those, bizarrely. Church services, yes. Anyone else? No? No, not Father Christmas. Fear of relatives. Anyone got that but then put their hand up? <laughs> Fear of relatives. All right, got two more left. My children have definitely not got this one. Okay, I can't even pronounce it. Gabphobia. How do you pronounce G and H? This is Welsh, isn't it, Judith? Welsh. Yeah, exactly. That one there, phobia. Who said, are you Googling up, Zara? It's the fear of, fear of presence. The fear of presence. Anyone scared, scared of presence? Like, imagine that. Happy Christmas. Wow. Okay, last one. The last one for you called cherophobia. This is the last one. And if you have this one, if you have this one, you may have to go to another church. Cherophobia. It's the fear of fun. Fear of fun. No fun allowed if you've got cherophobia. But we are going to talk about angels today. Someone thought it might be cheras, cherub, cherubims, I get angels. We're going to talk about angels because angels have one of the most significant parts in the Christmas story, but they often don't get mentioned. They're like the, the extra kind of part to play at the Christmas nativity. If you don't have a part for a child, that's okay, you can be an angel, tinsel and a white cloth, and you're sorted. 
But the angels have a significant part. They appear five times in the Christmas story. And those who know the story well will know that the first time we have this moment, Zachariah, the priest, the father of John the Baptist, is there in the Holy of Holies. He spent the whole year preparing for this big moment. And the angel Gabriel appears to him in Luke 1, and he appears to Zachariah and says, you're going to have a child with your wife Elizabeth. Even though he was old, you're going to have a child, and you call him John the Baptist. Zachariah hadn't spoken to Mary at this point. He says, how can that be? I'm old. So suddenly the angel stops him from speaking for the next nine months. Well, then the moment we just read about where the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and she's there as a 14-year-old teenage girl and the angel appears to her while she's by herself. And the third time it appears is probably in Matthew's version of the Christmas story, which is where Joseph, having heard from Mary that she's going to have a baby, there's a conversation, has a dream, and Matthew uh, expresses the, the angel appearing in a dream, and Joseph is spoken to in a dream by an angel and says, don't worry, it's going to be okay. Stay with Mary. God's got a plan. It's all okay. And then the fourth time is when the angel appears to the shepherds in, in the fields outside the town of Bethlehem, and an angel appears to the shepherds there in Luke 2 and says, you know, there's, there's a baby. It's been born. Jesus has been born. He's in a manger. He's wrapped in cloth. And we're going to talk more about that next week. And then lastly, when the angel appears again to Joseph and says, please go get your family. Go get Mary and Jesus. Escape from this place because Herod is on his way. And these angels make these significant appearances throughout Scripture and the storytelling of Christmas. And I want to spend a few moments this week and next looking at angels and why they are there in the story, what their role is. I don't know if you've ever given much thought to angels. Who are they? What are they? But they appear throughout the whole of Scripture. They are there regularly making an appearance. You know, angels are spiritual beings. They have high intelligence. They are not a physical um, body. They are a spiritual thing created by God. They were made by God. Go on the next screen, Levi. There's a few um, things there as well. Their exact form is never described. You look in Scripture, someone's there talked about as either bright or shining or white or glowing. There isn't ever a de- detailed expression of, of um, angels. They are servants of God. They serve God in different ways. They either go to battle. They serve through taking messages to uh, teenage uh, virgins or to shepherds in fields. Or they are taking messages um, to people. Or they are in in battle uh, sometimes or worship. Especially there are times where in heaven the angels gather and they worship God together. They are worshippers. And they are, sorry to break this to you, they're often referred to as men, not as women. If you look through scripture, most of the time, all the time angels are actually referred to, they're referred to as male. They have male names or they're described as men sitting by the bed, you know, where Jesus was buried. There's the angels like men or when they're ascending, it's like men. There's descriptions of men, not women, which is interesting why every Christmas time when there's a school nativity, who gets the angel parts? Don't want to start a whole conversation around gender, do we? But the Bible talks about angels being male in form, if anything, rather than female. And I find it fascinating. We've got this concept at Christmas time, this idea of pale, white, little cherry bub, uh, sort of, you know, kind of babies playing harps. Or humans with wings. It doesn't appear in the Bible at all. There's no such thing as human-sized angels with wings. 
really sorry. There are cherubims and seraphims that are talked about with multiple wings and are quite unusual looking characters, um, but they're not the same as angels themselves. They're angelic beings, and we can get into a whole conversation around that. But we don't have, you look at the next picture, angels don't look like this. Angels definitely don't look like the next picture. What parent did that? <laughs> now, the reason I know that angels don't look like cute babies with wings is this. It's very simple. If an angel looked like that, go back one, and appeared in front of grown, burly shepherds, would it say, excuse me, don't be afraid? Because it's not very scary. Angels must have been terrifying in their, both their presence and their scale and the unexpectedness of that. Wow. Angels, why do they say fear not if they looked cute and cuddly and floated like some kind of pixie dust thing out of a Disney film? Fear not. Don't be afraid was the opening line the angel would regularly use. With Zechariah, when we, we read about Zechariah just now, Zechariah was that moment in, this, in the Holy of Holies and the angel says, fear not. Why? Because Zechariah was probably f- afraid of what this might look like. He was afraid of how this may come across to his colleagues. He was afraid of maybe his pride of going, ah, oh, this could be embarrassing. I'm trying to explain to people out there that I've just been in the Holy of Holies longer than I'm meant to have been and, and I've had an encounter with an angel. And the angel said, I'm going to have a baby, but I'm too old to have babies. What's going on? Or for Mary, that moment when this angel appears and says, fear not. And she's probably thinking, it's easy for you to say. I'm a teenager. I'm standing here by myself talking to an angel. And and I'm I'm thinking, what is my mum going to say? That's the conversation, isn't it? How do I explain this to my friends? I've just been betrothed to Joseph. Betrothal was different to engagement. It was more like a a commitment between families. This is the plan. The next year or two years, these two will get married. I'm going to let my family down. I've got dreams of being this this bride and, you know, walking down the aisle or whatever they did, you know, in white. And and it's going to be perfect. I've got this great plan. And this has kind of wrecked those plans. Yes, to be sure, she was afraid. Or those shepherds, maybe they were just the everyday men of their community, they were in some ways often the lowest of the low. They were feeling unimportant. They were afraid of thinking, have you got the wrong people? Shouldn't you go see Herod in his palace or go and see the wealthy people? You've come to the fields and to meet with the everyday normal people. We feel unimportant. We're afraid that you're asking us to go and welcome the King of Kings, this saviour of the world. You know, fear. I want to talk about fear for a few moments this morning. Fear like, you know, that expression of rabbit in headlights. Fear is the thing that freezes us. It stops us doing what sometimes is obvious to do. You know, a, a, a rabbit in headlights, it just needs to cross the road very quickly. Standing in front of the car is not going to help. But how often have you found yourself in a place of fear where you feel frozen to the spot? You feel, I don't, I don't know how to respond. I'm, I'm scared of what might happen. And I can imagine those moments with, with Zachariah, with Mary, with the shepherds, where the angel appears, uh, angel Gabriel in two of those, possibly in the third with the shepherds as well, appears and says, fear not, don't be afraid. 2 Timothy 1 says this, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We're not meant to be people of fear. We're meant to be people of trusting in God and what he said he, said, he, said he will do, he will do. Why do we fear? 
we've heard some strange Christmas-based phobias this morning. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I've got some of those. The fear of relatives coming around would always be an interesting one, I'm sure. But, you know, the most common fears in our country, I find this fascinating, people are afraid of confined spaces is the most common thing. Second most common thing, wide open spaces. Hey, that's interesting, isn't it? People are either afraid of confined spaces, lifts, you know, rooms, small rooms, or uh, inside a, a vehicle or something, or they're open spaces. People are also afraid of, let me get these right, um, heights is another one, afraid of heights, or creepy crawlies. If you're watching I'm a Celebrity, Bush Tucker Trial is probably not for you if you're all into your creepy crawlies and scared of those. Or maybe afraid of death. Remember a few years ago, a friend of ours, um, Ali, she rang me up and she said, Sim, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm going away with my husband. We're going on a sailing weekend. I said, that sounds fantastic. Have a great time. She goes, no, I'm afraid we're going to die. So, sorry to hear that. Um, not me at my most pastoral. Um, how can I help? Well, she said, I've rewritten my will. Okay. She said, we've got four children, which I knew that. She said, and if anything happens to us, we'd like them to come and live with you. I know, we've got four children as well. Uh, it's a few years ago, and I'm thinking, okay. And to be honest, my only thought was I just need to kind of calm her down. She'll be fine. So I said, Ali, don't you worry. You'll have a great time. She said, yes, I know, she said, but can I put your name on the will? That if anything goes wrong, you'll have the children, and you'll look after them for me. I said, absolutely, Ali, please don't worry. We'll happily have your children. Go have a great weekend away. I put the phone down, and then I sort of, you know, you sort of rewind. You think, what have I just committed to? I said, look, I've just said to Ali that if anything happens to them, we've got eight kids. So we better start praying that they have a great sailing weekend. <laughs> now, the good news is, you were pleased to hear this, they came back safe and sound from their sailing weekend. The bad news is, I'm not sure if they've changed their will. <laughs> Funny, isn't it? There's a little thought for you. But people get afraid of all kinds of things. But, you know, the biggest fear that people face today is the fear of, of a social fear. Not of being embarrassed in public, but online fear. Fear of missing out. It has an acronym. It's in the dictionary, FOMO. The fear of missing out. The dictionary says this, a pervasive apprehension that others might be having a more rewarding experience from which you are absent. So what you do is you get your phone out and you keep checking what everyone else is doing. And if they're having a better time than you are, you're disappointed. Strange, hey? Or you could just put the phone away and just enjoy being with your family and friends instead. Apparently, we check our phones 150 times a day on average. And it builds up anxiety as we keep looking at our phone. Are we waiting for something, expecting something? It's not happening. And fear of missing out is a real thing. It's, you might think it's a joke. It's a real thing. There's this incredible moment. If you ever watch, we love Michael McIntyre. We watched Michael McIntyre on TV last night. They surprise this 17-year-old girl. The first thing she does, she pulls out her phone... And considering she's wearing like a kind of kung fu outfit, I was quite impressed. She pulls out her phone from who knows where, and she videos herself and Michael McIntyre live in front of this 2,500 audience. It's her first reaction, was to pull out her phone and video it. it. And he's saying, but we're going to be on TV. You can watch it later on. And she's like, no, it's got to be on my phone if it's not real. The fear of missing out is a real fear. But this, listen to this, this is really important. Being obsessed with what other people think about you stops you remembering what God thinks about you. This is really important. We can laugh and put that to one side, but seriously, if we're obsessed with other people's and what they think of us, 
then we forget how much God loves us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son Jesus at Christmas, a baby, a manger. God's so obsessed with you, he gave you the best thing he could ever give you. Much more important than the latest gadget or phone or device, he gave you his only son, Jesus Christ. The only way you could ever access to have life eternal with him. We must become obsessed with what God thinks about us. Because as we get obsessed with what he thinks about us, what other people think about us doesn't matter. It fades away. It becomes irrelevant. It becomes, I mean, it, it, you know, I understand it. It's a joke in our house. We all laugh because if Lottie puts something on Facebook, everyone likes it. Everybody likes it. But if I put something on, maybe 20 people will like it. And the kids often point out to me that mum's obviously much more popular than you are, Dad. You know, and most of the time it's quite funny, but every now and then you have a little, oh, yeah. Oh, what have I done? What's that about? But, but why, am I, why am I even bothered about that? I should bother what God thinks of me. We need to get obsessed with what God thinks about you. It's the quickest way you can ever forget what people think about you. That's why worship is so important. We turn our attention towards God and we let everything else fade away. When we look at this experience in Luke chapter 1 of Mary, you know, the reality here is Mary would have been a 13, 14-year-old girl. We know this because uh, girls were betrothed to be married when they'd uh, completed puberty. That was a moment where they would have been uh, promised to another family. And she would have been about 13 or 14 years of old. She wouldn't have been married at that point, so she'd have been younger. Imagine, if you will, if you know anyone, you've got a friend in the family or somebody who's like 12, 13, 14. Imagine that moment where you are by yourself and an angel appears. Now, you've got your pretty confident 13-year-old. Just go, yeah, just meet with an angel. It's what I do in my bedroom, mind my own business, you know, play Minecraft, and up comes an angel. It's like... That would have properly freaked her out. That incredible moment going, who are you? What are you doing in my house? Where have you come from? Seriously, you say you're from God. You know, that, those questions. And, and the writer here, Luke, only literally puts in um, two, three words. Mary was confused and disturbed. That's it. I'm thinking she would be really confused and really disturbed. Wow. That moment, and if we're not careful, we can paint Mary to be this kind of, you know, almost angelic herself, this kind of idyllic teenager that had no issues, never back-chatted to her mum at all or anything. And she's like, anything you say will be fine. I think there's a lot in that confused and disturbed. There was that moment where Mary was afraid and worried and thinking, how is this going to work? How can this be, she says. And then she finished that line in verse 38 which I said to you is probably one of the most powerful phrases someone's ever said in, in the word of God. I am the Lord's servant. It's a, it's a teenage girl. What faith. What, what wisdom. Against all fear, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. I don't know if many adults could say that. Zachariah couldn't say that. He said, that's not possible. Mary said, well, if that's what you say, be unto me. Which person are we more like? Are we people of fear? Or are we people who are willing to be obedient? You know, pleasing God sometimes means disappointing other people. Being obedient to God means disappointing someone's other people. Have you ever noticed how God's interruptions are often inconvenient. We, we, we'd like, we like God. We like the idea of faith. We like the idea of heaven and eternity. 
We like some of the church stuff we do. But to be honest with you, God, if you could just fit into my schedule, I'm happy to be obedient as long as it's on my terms. I'm happy to turn up when I feel like it. Mary was inconvenienced by God. Her plans, her dreams pushed to one side. Her ambitions gone. Suddenly, the inconvenience of an angel appearing, asking her to do something. In spite of fear, she was obedient. Are we willing, it's my challenge for you today, are we willing to be obedient even when we are fearful? Are we willing to be inconvenienced by God's interruptions? Are we willing to be listening to him? You know, often God's purposes are different to our own plans. Maybe you're sitting here today with your plans, your desires, your hopes, your dreams. You're thinking, ah, this is what I'd love my Christmas to look like. Maybe God has a different plan for you. This is how I like my life to look like. Maybe God has a different plan for you. Are we going to be people of fear or people of obedience? I've been reminded this week about the story. Is it part of the, um, we had a prayer time last Sunday evening, fantastic time at the Freedom Center last Sunday night. And as we were praying, God reminded that story of the lady in the Bible who got the perfume, her expensive alabaster jar, and she broke it open and she poured it over Jesus' feet as a generous uh, gift, as really as a kind of a gift of saying, I've messed up and I want to just say sorry and I want to do the most extravagant thing I can do. And I was reminded of that story and going, you know, for her, that was inconvenient. That was expensive. It was costly in more ways than just financial costs. You know, that she had to go in front of a group of men. It would be inappropriate for her to do what she did, to kneel at Jesus' feet and to break protocol and to break open this jar and to do something extravagant. She was obedient to what she felt she should do. How many times have we known we should do something, but we've stopped because it's been inconvenient to us or inconvenient to our family, or maybe it's been costly or expensive or time-consuming? I'd love to do that, but I just don't have the time, the resources, the energy. When have we put off being obedient because it's going to cost us? And I just wanted to say at Christmas time especially, you know, giving should always be costly. If it's not costly, it's not really a gift. And I mean, I don't mean as expensive. I mean, it's taking some thought, some time. You know, someone's, let's be honest, clicking on a mouse and go, done. Presents complete. Yeah, if you could wrap them for me, that'd be lovely. Nothing so costly as that, is it? Thank you, Amazon. If you could deliver them on the 24th, that'd be great. Wear a red suit, that'd be, I'll pay you extra. Christmas is a time of giving, but giving should be costly. Jesus came at great price, at great cost to his Father God. And when the angel stood in front of Mary, there was great cost in what she was asking of her. But she was obedient, even in the face of great fear and great cost and great anxiety. You know, if we're not ready to be criticized for our obedience to God, then maybe we're not ready to be used by God. I'll say that again. If we're not ready to be criticized for our obedience to God, maybe we're not ready to be used by God. I found that really challenging this week. Am I really prepared to be obedient, even if it costs me, against all the fear that I might face? 
I just want to be used, God. I want you to use me. Please use me. But if you could use me in a way that keeps me safe and my family safe, and if you could pay me a decent salary while I'm doing that thing that you're calling me to do, and if you look after all of my needs, that would be fantastic. That isn't how it works. Obedience is stepping out, trusting God in faith that he will look after our needs. Mary responded, an incredible response. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. If you look through the Bible, extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. You look through the he looked at Hebrews, that list of faithful people. It started with very normal people saying yes to following God. And maybe you're here today, one of your fears, the idea of following Christ. You know this could be a tough call to go, yeah, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to call myself a Christian. Maybe that's tough for you. You think, I'm not sure my family will say. I'm not sure my friends will say. I don't want to say this is the best time of year to give your life to Jesus Christ and say, I want to follow him against all the odds, against all the fear you may feel or anxiety. And say, I'm going to trust you, God. If Mary trusted your angel, I'm going to trust in your word. All extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. You know, the outcome is always God's responsibility. The obedience is your responsibility. It's my responsibility. My job is to say yes to following Jesus. What happens next, that's his responsibility. And I just wonder this, as I bring things to an end, I'll get the band up here to give people a sense of hope that I'm bringing things to a conclusion. And I just wondered this Christmas, is there something, I want to challenge you here, is there something in myself as well you are putting off? this Christmas season? Is it something you're a bit fearful of, a bit worried about, anxious about? Corrie Ten Boom used to say, anxiety and fear and worry is like a rocking chair. It keeps you busy, but gets you nowhere. Are there things you're fearful of and worried about this Christmas time? Are there things you are putting off that you need to be obedient to God in? Maybe your decisions, you want, you know you need to make a decision, but you're just putting it off. Oh, you know, we'll do that in the new year. Oh, I just don't want to face that. I'll just bury my head in the sand and hope that goes away. Maybe there are things you need to deal with. Maybe there are people you need to reconnect with. You know, Christmas is often a time about relationships and family, and, and we laughed about the phobia of relatives, but are there people you've become disconnected with? I know this is a tough one, but are there people you've become disconnected with, with family and friends? You think, I need to make that right. I need to reconnect. I need to take that example of Mary and say, I'm afraid of what the consequences might be. But I'm going to say, if that's what you're calling me to do, then I'll do it. Are we willing to overcome fear and follow obedience to Christ? Fear is natural. It's the most natural thing. When I was in the fire service, people used to say to me, you know, you're obviously not afraid of heights. I said, yeah, I'm afraid of heights. Because I know that if I fall off those tall towers and bridges and ladders and things, it's going to hurt. Fear is okay, but it's what we do in the face of fear. That's important. How do we respond to fear? Do we let fear control us or do we allow our faith to win and step out and trust God? This Christmas, I challenge us all. Let's be people who say, let's not fear control our decisions. Let's be obedient unto Christ. Let's be people who replicate Mary and says the words, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. What would happen 
if all of us at Freedom Church were obedient to God, what would happen if for one week we said, you know what? Anything you tell me to do, I'll do it. I mean, I can see the nervousness from here. Is he going to check up on us? But imagine what it'd be like. Imagine the stories. God doesn't call us to be successful. He calls us to be faithful and to be obedient. Mary did not know what was going to happen next. She did not know that her face was going to be plastered over every single chapel in the middle of Bethlehem and Jerusalem. She didn't know that. She didn't know that she'd be revered and prayed to. She was just a, she was just a nervous, confused, disturbed 13-year-old teenage girl going, what's my mum going to say? But I'm still choosing. If that's what you want me to do, then I'll do it. What would happen, Freedom Church, if we obeyed God? I'm going to stay here a little bit longer. What would happen? Someone thinks it would be amazing. I think it would be incredible. And, I, and you know, here's the thing. We often don't tell the stories of the things where it goes wrong. But I think they're absolutely encouraging to hear when people were obedient, whether it goes right or wrong. The outcome is God's responsibility. The obedience is our responsibility. Are we prepared to be obedient? Are we prepared to, on our walking to work, on our driving, as we get up in the morning to go, God, what is it you want me to do today? Are we prepared to be obedient like Mary was? Have I pushed the point enough? Are you wishing I'd move on to tea and coffee now? Yeah, uncomfortable, is it? Yeah, meant to be. Let's all stand on our feet. Let's pray. Now let's, let's put ourselves out there. If you want to respond to anything I've said about fear today or about being obedient, you're struggling with some stuff, we'll have a ministry team down here on my left-hand side. They'd love to pray with you. We're going to hand over to the worship team in just a moment just to bring things to an end. But let's just pray. Let's just pray that we would be people full of faith, not fear. And if you're okay to do this where you're standing, just to hold your hands out if you're comfortable to receive what God has for you. Lord, those words, it says you've given us not a spirit of fear. You've given us faith. Lord, maybe people who are filled with faith, filled with possibility. Lord, we're sorry where sometimes we have backed away from things because we've been uncertain about the outcome. We've been worried about how we might look. We're embarrassed. We've got pride issues, whatever it might be. We're fearful. Lord, may you make us an obedient church. May you make us more and more like that incredible woman, Mary, who said, be it unto me as you have said it will be. Lord, we want to be people who are not full of fear, but full of faith. May Freedom Church be a church that obeys your call on our lives, we pray. Lord, may our lives be changed, our families transformed, our community affected because of our willingness to be obedient to the commands you put in front of us. Make us aware and sensitive to your prodding, we pray. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you. I hope that's been helpful. Next week, you'll be glad to hear we're going to move on to glad tidings. Okay, we've done fear not. All right. But let's have a week of obedience and see what God will do amongst us. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.